Well, you could say that we're kicking things off today on the right foot. It's time for another chat with our good friend, Archdiocese and Archives Manager, Allison Spees, who always has fascinating stories to share from the history of our local church. Welcome back, Allison. Thank you so much, Patrick. I'm very excited to be here today. Uh, yeah, I'm excited, too. We all want to know the story of the foot, but you need to set it up for us. Uh, well, actually, before you do, though, in case people are wondering about some of these strange things and wonderful things that you come on the show to t- tell us about, we should mention that they can always send an email to records at archspm.org. So if you have questions about the archives and what's in them and uh, what's going on with archives, send an email to records at archspm.org. All right. Set up the story for us, Allison. All right. So this is one of the most beloved tales from Archdiocese history. It is the saga of Father Joseph Guafon. And I will get to his foot momentarily. All right, Um, sure. I want to start with just saying that this is a tale from the very early decades of the diocese. And I think it's easy for us to forget how different life was at that time. And most of the priests serving in the Minnesota Territory were born and educated in France and were really pretty unprepared for the conditions of the Western frontier. Hmm. And so this is the story of one of those priests. Uh, Father Joseph Guafon, he was born in 1824 in a rural town in France, and by his own admission, he was not particularly bright, so it took a long time for him to complete his education, Um, but he was ordained in 1852, and he came to America to serve in the Diocese of St. Paul in 1857. Uh, He spent a few months in Mendota, and in his mid-30s, he was appointed to assist in the Red River Valley, because at the time, the Diocese of St. Paul encompassed the Dakotas as well. Um, And so he was assigned to two villages, just a stone's throw from the Canadian border, St. Joseph and Pembina. Uh, These were two Métis villages, so blended communities of French-Canadian and Native American culture that were really centered around the buffalo hunts and the fur trade. Um, And so he was sent up there. They were just um, right on the edge of the Diocese of St. Boniface, which was near Winnipeg. Um, And he loved his life there. He was very attached to his parishioners and really flourished. Um, He was there for several years, and their life there required regular trips to St. Paul in order to sell the furs that they had and procure supplies. Um, And for us, from Pembina to St. Paul is about a six-hour drive each way. Wow. Um, Okay. At that time, it routinely took about two and a half months. So one (laughs) month of travel each way and then two weeks of exchanging goods. And because there were no roads, just cart trails, and even if you had a horse or an ox cart, those were for hauling your equipment, you were walking. Um, So it's a 500-mile journey on foot, including regularly swimming across rivers and lakes and towing your animals (laughs) and carts across those rivers and lakes. So very difficult. Wow. It's the Camino right here in Minnesota. Wow. (laughs) Okay. Love it. So he had actually made this journey a couple of times already. Um, But in 1860, the vicar general at the time had summoned him to St. Paul after the summer buffalo hunt, and he left at the end of August with a couple of Canadian brothers named Paul and Charles Morneau. Um, Their trip there was without incident. It was the trip back where things started to get interesting. Oh, I'm I'm a tingle with excitement. All right. (laughs) By the time they start to head back, it's now early October. The weather is actually very fair, um, so he was dressed pretty lightly, and they were traveling with a group that was headed to St. Boniface in Canada. So they're headed the same direction, um, but the St. Boniface group wanted to leave on a Sunday, and Father Guafon was scandalized because it was illegal to undertake any labors on Sunday in the U.S. at that time, and he wanted to say Mass that day. So they sent their party ahead of them 
and sent their tent with them uh, because they thought they would catch up faster if they weren't carrying it. Uh, so Father Guasson and the two brothers are now traveling alone behind the rest of their group. It all okay. goes fine. They've traveled, Until. For three <laughs> <laughs> They've traveled for three weeks, and they haven't caught up with them yet. Okay. Um, so the two brothers are concerned that this group from St. Boniface is going to keep their tent. So they sent <laughs> Father Guafon ahead of them on horseback to tell them to leave it for them in Pembina. He catches up with the group, and they're only two days from their destination. So okay. nearly have a fully successful journey. Right. Um, and at this point in the journey, it's been a couple of months. They have very little food left because they're really hauling supplies like nails and metal for making stoves. Um, he had one piece of pemmican left, which is like a dried meat and fat uh, mm-hmm. of traveling food. Right. Um, and his horse was also hungry because prairie fires had burned most of the grass at that mm-hmm. point in the season. So they're exhausted, his clothes are worn out, and he's anxious to get back to his parishioners whom he loves and say mass for them. Sure. So on November 2nd, he decides to leave by himself ahead of everyone else. And it's raining lightly, but he says it's not that bad, and he'll wait at the river 10 miles up ahead if the weather is still bad. He gets to the river, and he, it is, the rain is still getting heavier, so he stops and waits for his group, but nobody shows up. Mm. Um, he starts a fire. He has one buffalo robe that he can sleep on. And surprisingly, there's one man that shows up heading the opposite direction. He's a young Englishman. And Father Guafon actually begged that man to stay with him so that he wouldn't get lost, the Mm. young man. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. But the young man was looking for his uncle and decided to carry on. So Father Guafon is alone. He falls asleep. And overnight, there's a blizzard. And he wakes (laughs) up in eight inches of snow. Okay. All right. Now it's getting interesting. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Okay. All right. And I will try to condense this tale as much as I can. There are so many interesting details, but the crux of it is he gets stuck in the snow. Um, He attempts to travel a little further, but can't. And His horse is exhausted. And so he keeps having to stop and rest. And eventually his horse dies of exposure and starvation. And Father Guafon is just sleeping, waiting for someone to show up, and he realizes that his legs have frozen. Oh, no. And he attempts to um, cut into his horse to create a kind of shelter for himself. Um, but the horse Okay, I just got to pause and say, is, is anybody else having flashbacks to uh, to The Empire Strikes Back right that here? That is a I'm, perfect comparison. Yeah, okay, thank you. Uh, that's exactly case, where my 50-year-old mind goes, yes. Yes, yes. So, But the horse is frozen solid, so he's not successful. <laughs> oh, no. um, he is able to cut a little bit of meat for himself to eat, so at least he doesn't starve. Um, and he starts praying, of course, fervently for his guardian angel to send help, and he promises to offer 68 masses if he survives. 68? Um, 68. Is that <laughs> how old he is, or where does that come that from? Number. All right. I'm not sure. It's a curious okay. question. Yeah, all um, right. And sure enough, the next morning, it's been four days, and he sees someone, and he starts yelling for help, but they are... It's Han Solo is who it is. <laughs> All right, sorry. I can't get the analogy out of my head. All right, keep going. It's a great sorry. one. So but yeah. they appear to be walking away from him, and so he thinks he's lost. And it, in fact, they were walking towards him, but his eyesight was failing. Um, and it's actually two men 
the young Englishman that he had run into on the first night and his uncle, who were on their way back. So they find him. Father Guasfon offers them a piece of his horse. Uh, they think he's delusional and give him some coffee, and they yeah. carry him the final stretch to Pembina. Um, Father Guasfon was sure he was going to die. Yeah. He, he thinks he's fine, but the problem is that he actually can't feel anything because his legs are frozen solid. And as they start to thaw is when he starts to feel excruciating pain. And in fact, his legs have started to rot. And oh. there is no doctor in Pembina. They've been there two weeks, and it's clear that he needs professional assistance. So they put him on a dog sled and traveled another 70 miles into Canada where the nearest oh, doctor gosh. is. Yeah. Um, so he stays at the bishop's residence connected to the cathedral in St. Boniface, and a doctor comes to amputate his right leg below the knee, mm-hmm. and they were going to allow him some time to recover and then amputate his left foot. But um, 10 days after the amputation, a vein bursts, and he's bleeding to death. So the servants at the cathedral start boiling fat to make candles for his funeral. The vat of fat boils over and sets the entire residence on fire. Are you kidding me? No. (laughs) Um, So they drag Father Guafon out of the fire. He's screaming at them to save the records that they have in the cathedral. But in an hour, the entire place is burned to the ground. And Father Guafon is alive. Um, They think perhaps the cold might have helped slow the bleeding. Um, Uh So he survives. He uh, goes through with the other foot amputation. And by Ash Wednesday, he's saying Mass every Sunday. He carves his own wooden foot and leg. And nine months after he left, he finally returns to his parish. And he not only survived, but lived another 50 years. 50? to establish parishes all over the Twin Cities and died at the age of 86 of heart failure. Oh, my gosh. Right. So that is the story of Father Joseph Guafon. And in our archives, we have his prosthetic foot. Um, <laughs> and his leg is at the parish of St. Mary of the Lake in White Bear Lake. And I think one of the most fascinating things about this story, I mean, there's so much to unpack here, but um, the fact that he decided to carve his own wooden leg is actually pretty remarkable um, because at the time, with the milling and logging industries and the railroad industry and the Civil War, artificial limbs were readily available, and there were, in fact, several companies that made them in Minneapolis alone. But he insisted on carving his own leg. And there was, in fact, a joke about this in the newspaper in his hometown in France about how he was now officially an American because he was a self-made man. Oh, nice. (laughs) Well done. Yes, I can. I can appreciate a good uh, turn of phrase, a good pun (laughs) when set up. uh, Yeah, even even if it's uh, yeah, well, almost 200 years old. So, (laughs) wow. Some jokes never get old. That's right. That's right. Allison, I mean, you've you've outdone yourself this time. I mean, that's amazing. What a story. Now, how do we know all this? I mean, did he keep a journal or were there just news reports at the time or did, is it you know, depicted, recounted somewhere? Yes, we have lots of records of it, which is fabulous. Um, there were newspaper accounts all over the country and in France 
Um, he wrote his own autobiography, which is a mm. delight to read. I highly recommend it. And there's several other publications about him as well, um, including a pamphlet called The Frozen Pri- Priest of Pembina. Um, so if anybody <laughs> is interested, I highly recommend those documents. Um, I also think it's interesting that he himself was concerned with record keeping. He, of course, tried to have the records of St. Boniface saved during the fire. Um, and in his will, he left the parish of St. Boniface his entire personal library as well. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Amazing. Wow. I, I, I mean, it, it's stunning. And, and just to, to place yourself in that, and, and I assume... That like in his in his autobiography, I mean, he's going through the details of all of this, uh, all everything that you mentioned, plus all these details that we don't have time for. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, that's yeah. A... And then this wasn't the only mishap that he went through. Um, there are in fact several stories of near drownings, getting lost, and just life on the prairie, um, especially before the bison herds were decimated. It's really fascinating to read about. Um, and his he has a quite a character that comes out in his writing. Um, and th- we have some letters from him just talking about his life and how fascinating it was to himself. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's a really, he's a remarkable character in the history of the Archdiocese, and we're very happy to have a piece of him in our collection. Right. Now, w- if somebody wanted to read his autobiography, where could they find it, Allison? Um, you know? There's actually a published work um, by some descendants of his family um, that's readily available called Father jo- Joseph Guafon. A Tale of a French Missionary, and it's okay. Okay. readily available. Yeah, all right. Great. And uh, just so everybody knows, Guafon is G-O-I-F-F-O-N. Yeah, that's have correct. I got that right? Okay, mm-hmm. all right. Wow, Allison, that's that's unbelievable. And we've only got about a minute left, but holy cow, did you fill us with... Well, I mean, that was quite the tale. And uh, I think everybody listening, you need to tell that around the Thanksgiving table or, or afterwards. I mean, over your pumpkin pie, you need to share that. So people are aware of the great sacrifices that have been made to uh, keep to bring the faith and then to keep the faith alive here in our local church. So, so yeah, wonderful. You. Allison, I mentioned the records at archspm.org. Anything additional you'd like to add about the role of the archives or how people can get in touch? Um, no, I think that's an excellent point. I'm delighted to hear from people. So if you have any questions at all, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, I think it's really a privilege of this job to be able to help preserve and share stories like this. Um, I did kind of wait to share this one because I was afraid everything after this might be a disappointment, but we do have many stories um, just as good as this, so I'm looking forward to more opportunities to share more. Oh, man, me too. Well, as always, Allison, it's been great to have you on. Thank you for your good work. Thank you for your wonderful storytelling abilities as well and for sharing them with us here on Praxing Catholic. God bless you, Allison. Thank you so much, Patrick. Oh, man. Wow, that's so great. Again, if you do have questions about the Archdiocese and Archives or have questions specifically for Allison and some of the stories you've hear, heard here on Practicing Catholic, go to or send an email to records at archspm.org. All right. Well, it's time for our first break. Coming up, how we can honor, support, and care for our elder fathers, brothers, and sisters in faith. We'll be back right after this. Hello, this is Don. Uh, we'd like to thank you, uh, Bishop Cousins, for all that you've done here for our parish, or our, our parish and our archdiocese. And I want to thank you also for sharing your conversion story uh, in the synod presentation that we just heard last night. Um, I know the Lord is working with you, and you're cooperating with Him immensely. 
and you'll do real well in your next assignment. Again, thank you so much. We really appreciated having you here uh, in the Archdiocese. This is Don. Thank you.